the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome or welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. I'm so glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions. But every once in a while, I have the wonderful opportunity to uh, interview somebody who is making a difference in the body of Christ and the kingdom of God. And joining me is... Our guest, Deborah Flora, she's an award-winning filmmaker, a producer, a radio host, a public policy advocate. And I'm just thinking, here's Deb Flora, Deb Flora, who ran for the United States Senate. Why in the world would you want to put yourself through so much pain, so much anguish, so much heartache, and seek a congressional seat in the 4th District? What are you thinking Wow. Uh, first of all, Gino, great to talk with you. Uh, great it's to talk to, to your talk listeners. To you. Great to be on my home station that I unfortunately had to stop my show last week on our sister channel. Yes. But, uh, you know, here is the thing. There are people that run for office because they're looking for a position, and there are people who run to serve and to fight for our country, our state, and to fight for our freedoms. And that's why I'm back in it in the Senate race. I came 38 votes short, but who's counting, of uh, moving on mm-hmm. to the next level. And right. when the seat opened up, Ken Buck announced his retirement last week. I was so grateful for the opportunity because really, you know, it comes down to serving, Gino, and everything that we do. And I really look forward to the opportunity of serving the great people in CD4, Congressional District 4, which is the Eastern Plains and uh, all of Douglas County. And that is why, you know, I mean, there there are things we need to stand and fight for from, you know, securing our border, improving the economy, are struggling to make ends meet with skyrocketing inflation and huge debt, and for parental rights, standing up for the building block of Western civilization, which is a nuclear family and educational freedom. So the fight's not done, so I'm back in it. Well, obviously, all of those things are important. And you can imagine for me as a former pastor and radio talk show host myself, for me, issues of personal freedom and religious freedom are very, very important. What role will the thoughts, the idea be about religious freedom? Obviously, you're coming from a place where you're very familiar with Jack Phillips. You're very familiar with Lori Smith. Both of those cases go to the Supreme Court. In, In other words, what role can grassroots congressional representation bring to the Mm -hmm. average citizen who says, I want to love the Lord. I want to exercise religious freedom without government interference. What's your, what's your position on that? What what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I've, I've obviously made that really clear. In fact, I was very privileged to lead the rally in front of the Supreme court steps uh, for Alliance Defending Freedom on December 5th when Lori Smith's case was um, being heard, 303 Creative. Sure. And the beautiful thing about our Constitution that protects religious liberty, it protects everything. 
first and foremost, to protect those of us that want to worship freely. It also, by the way, the correct ruling of the Supreme Court protects those who don't want to be uh, forced to express something that they don't believe. And that's what was the beauty of that case and why I was an ardent supporter of it, written, you know, a an op-ed about it, and, mm-hmm. and I've had Lori Smith and Jack Phillips on uh, uh, incredibly often. And that is one of the keys. But the big role in federal office is to pull government back, to get government back out of one of the most precious things to every single person, which is their right to worship freely. And so that is my goal in D.C., is to pull the government back, get out of the way. We can never have a situation again, for instance, in during the shutdown where you know abortion clinics and tattoo parlors were open. But churches were not allowed to open. That's not the role of the government and was a far overreach. So I will stand in every possible way to pull the government back and allow every single individual to live freely and worship freely. Yeah, it's this odd kind of balance where, where, where we have to ask and answer the question, what role does the government play? And then one of the things you've talked about a lot is government accountability. What do yes. you, what do you mean when you use that term government accountability where you're holding them uh, to account? Is it to honor the yes. constitution? Is it to honor parental rights? Is it to provide for religious freedom? Is it to prevent overreach? Is it that and all of those mm-hmm. things? Is it an umbrella term? It's all of the above. If we just hold people fast to the Constitution, every single one of those rights is protected. It is limited government. Uh, First Amendment is protected under the Bill of Rights. Parental rights, honestly, I think would have originally been in the Bill of Rights had the Founding Fathers ever known we would get to this point. So there may be additional legislation that is required there, and I'm all behind it, whether it's the Parental Rights Amendment or something else. But the accountability factor is huge when it comes to the U.S. Congress. What many people don't realize is that the power of the Congress is in the accountability role in those committees. And you, as a, a congressperson, has the ability to bring someone in from the highest office to anyone else, sit them down in that seat, and have them under subpoena, express why they've done what they did, drag the truth into the light, because we've lost trust in our government, and it's time to rebuild it. Accountability also, by the way, means making sure that career politicians aren't spending every single dime of our hard-earned dollars. And really, what, what is what, the moral What act? are you calling? Are you actually calling for fiscal responsibility? What you are you it, thinking, you know, Deborah Flora? I am. I think I'm, te- like, I'm, I'm teasing you a little bit of you. <laughs> I know. And one thing I would add, I'm a mom. We have an 18 and a 19-year-old. The idea that we are burdening them with this level of debt is immoral. It's wrong. It is not how we have looked at improving this situation for future generations. So accountability means all of those things. And most of all, it means pulling back big government from intruding into every area of our lives to get it back to what its role was supposed to be. And and really, the beautiful idea that is America, Gina, you and I talked America is the idea that every single person is created with intrinsic value, therefore individual rights, and government has only one job, to protect the rights and the security of its citizens. That's it. 
not to tell us what we must do, how we must raise our children, uh, how we can or cannot worship freely. It's time to pull government back. See, this is so interesting to me, Deb Flora, because for my view, human dignity isn't a political position. Indeed. It's a moral. Indeed. It's a moral mm-hmm. position. And and to actually have to say, you should... I'm, I'm thinking of ads for you. Have a picture of Jesus. Have a picture of Mother Teresa, and just say too extreme for Colorado. <laughs> well, here's the thing: human dignity. So many, I, so many of the things that we are that that are now politicized are not supposed to be. And why is that? Because we are moralizing politics and politicizing morals. The right. government has gotten into every single aspect of our lives, from our very identity to how we raise our children, to what is okay to worship or not worship. I mean, I'm a mom that helped flip our school board in Douglas County, and we have a uh, head of the DOJ, Merrick Garland, who declared us domestic terrorists for standing up for our kids at a school board meeting. We have gotten to places that are not partisan. They are simply right and wrong, not left or right. Right. And I know we don't have a whole lot of time, so tell people where they can find out more about Deb Flora and your race uh, into the future. Thank you so much. DeborahFlora.com, a fashion biblical way. P-R-A-H-Flora.com. I would so appreciate everyone's support. And um, I'm really grateful for this opportunity to share with your listeners, Gino. Thank you Thanks, so much. Deb. I hope to have you back in the not-too-distant future. You this can G- count on it, my friend. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number's 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. Having Deb Flora on made me think of yet another question, if you will, on Tough Question Tuesday, and I'm Happy to talk about that question. And the question, of course, is should a Christian run for political office? And, of course, we have that question at Got Questions, Your Questions, Biblical Answers. And I'd love to share it with you at gotquestions.org, 303-873-1935. And, again, if you'd like to join me on the program, that's the number, 303-873-1935. And uh, back to that question, you know. Uh, should Christians run? And the article that we have posted um, includes a recommended resource. I've had Wayne Grudem on this program. He's written a massive tome on ethics. He's also written one of the most uh, important books on systematic theology. But Wayne Grudem has also written a book called Politics According to the Bible a comprehensive resource for understanding modern political issues in the light of Scripture. And um, at gotquestions.org, to this very specific question, should a Christian run for political office? And, of course, the way we answer that question is whether or not Christians should run for political office is one of those hot-button issues that provoke strong responses on both sides of the question. Because the question, of course, is yes, they should, and no, they shouldn't. 
there are no direct references in the Bible to Christians running for political office, but there are Christian principles that we can bring to bear on the decision whether or not to seek political office. Anyone considering running for office would do well to consider some of those principles and then prayerfully seek God's will in his or her life. And there's no doubt that countries where political officials are elected by the citizens are countries, at least you would hope, that promote freedom. Christians in many countries in this world are oppressed and persecuted. They suffer under governments. They are powerless to change. And governments that hate their faith attempt to silence their voices. These believers preach the gospel of Jesus Christ at risk, great risk of their own lives. And in the United States of America, Christians have been blessed with the right to speak about and choose their leaders without fearing for themselves or their families. And the leaders we elect greatly influence our freedoms. They can choose to protect our right to worship and spread the gospel, or they can seek to restrict those rights. They can lead our nation towards righteousness or moral disaster. And clearly, the more committed Christians that are a part of government, whether at the local level or the state level or the federal level, we would hope that the more our religious freedoms will be guarded, reinforced, secured. Christians in politics can affect desperately needed changes in the culture. A prime example is William Wilberforce, a 19th century English politician who campaigned for decades to end the horrible, abominable, wicked slave trade that flourished at the time. His campaign was eventually successful. But make no mistake about it, he didn't succeed the first time around or the second time around or the third time around. But he's lauded today for his courage and commitment to Christian principles. At the same time, there's that old saying, politics is a dirty business. Politicians, even those with the best of motives, are in danger of being corrupted by a system that traffics in power. Those in political office, especially at the federal level, are courted by those who hope to gain favor in order to advance their own agendas. I'm going to pause in the article for just a moment and tell you that I have a bias and I have an agenda. I want to talk a little bit about my bias and my agenda. And part of my bias an agenda includes the idea that I want to live in a country where there is individual freedom. I want to live in a country where 
we have the natural and unalienable right to life and liberty and conscience and free speech and the free exercise of religion and the ability to pursue happiness and own property and build wealth and defend ourselves and our families. And so my view of government is that the purpose of government is to secure those rights. The purpose of government from a biblical standpoint is to prevent chaos, provide order. I would go even one step further and say it's to promote righteousness and to prevent wickedness. And so my own view is I want a government where the recognition of individual freedom is recognized in the law. And I want limited government, not unlimited government. And so imagine if you ask and answer this question, is government exactly the right size as it should be? Should it continue to grow and be bloated? So how in the world, like our founders, do we make a mechanism to provide for legitimate government operations by the consent of the governed, but limit government's growth? So what do I mean when I say limited government? It can't mean $31 billion in, in debt. So I believe in the rule of law. I believe in peace through strength and fiscal responsibility and free markets and human dignity. That's my bias. I actually do want someone who shares those views, who embraces those values. But there are people who don't share my views. They don't embrace those values. And so do I want someone who shares those views and embraces those values in government positions of leadership? The answer is yes. And so do I hope to gain favor and advance my agenda? Yeah. But, of course, where money and power get involved, greed and covetousness can't be very far away. So there's a great danger for Christians who are involved in the machinations of worldly political systems. It's a, it's, it's a dirty business. How can you be in this dirty business and not get dirty yourself? Perhaps nowhere in life is it more true that bad company corrupts good character than in the seats of political power. Where is that passage found, by the way? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. I'll have more when we come back. 303-873-1935. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me. The number is 
1935 I had privilege of having Deborah Flora on earlier um, in the broadcast, and she's a jewel. And again, I've been talking a little bit about um, politics, if you will, and I've been talking a little bit about a question we have posted, should a Christian run for political office at gotquestions.org, your questions, biblical answers. And in in this article, um, the last couple of paragraphs that we have include this caveat about running for office. And again, I do want to, this is one of those times when I would recommend the, uh, the further resources. And one of them is by Wayne Grudem, who is a competent scholar who's written on a number of different subjects, including ethics and systematic theology. But also he wrote a book called Politics According to the Bible, a comprehensive resource for understanding modern political issues in light of the scripture, which I recommend. 303-873-1935. This is that opportunity for you to call if you'd like to. 303-873-1935. But the last couple of paragraphs in that article at uh, Should a Christian Run for Political Office is... Jesus said that his kingdom is not of this world. That's John 18, 36. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world or not from the world. So the way I take that in part is that Jesus, his kingdom is not of the world right now. And it certainly wasn't when he said those words. But upon his death and his burial and his resurrection, and then his ascension into heaven, he made a promise that he would return. And I'm going to suggest to you, that he's going to return to this world. Now, the kingdom of Christ isn't specifically connected with earthly political systems or national governments, all of which are in rebellion against God. So can we say that the American political system and Washington specifically is a paragon of virtue and righteousness and biblical propriety. Is Washington in rebellion against God in the same way as Moscow or Tehran or Mexico City or London or Paris or Mecca? So the world Christians are to be concerned with is the spiritual realm, not the temporal. There's nothing wrong with Christians being involved in politics as long as they remember that we are to be ambassadors for Christ on earth. And remember what Paul talks about when he says that our 
that we that that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. And so the way I would think about it is do we have political problems? The answer is yes. Are there political solutions? I would say I would venture a guess and say yes. But our primary job description and our goal is to appeal to others to be reconciled to God through Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The reason why Paul could make that statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, and first um, in, in the book of Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, is because he understood the truth that God has made reconciliation possible through Jesus Christ, that the problem of our sin has been dealt with because of the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And there are numerous passages that Jesus, his death on the cross, provided the satisfying solution to the problem of sin. That is, it's offense against God and its persistence both in the world and in, in individual human beings. So should a Christian run for political office? For some Christians, that answer is a definite no. For others, it could be a definite yes. For me, at least right now, it's a definite no. For Gino Geraci, I'm fairly convinced that I'm unelectable. And why am I unelectable? Well, like the current Speaker of the House, he was asked the question about worldview, and the Speaker (laughs) winsomely said, go find a Bible and open it. And there you will find my worldview. Obviously, running for office is a personal decision that requires prayer and wisdom from God. And I guess for the Christian, obviously, it's a wisdom that only the Lord can provide. But he promises to grant to those who truly seek it. In James chapter 1, verse 5, we can with confidence, repeat what James wrote. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So Christian politicians have to remember that their duty is to the Lord and that that duty takes precedence even over the duties of their office. Paul tells us that whatever we do, we're to do it for the glory of God, not for our own glory. So what are the passages that we might 
appeal to? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, where Paul writes, he says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. If a Christian seeks office, it should only be because he or she can faithfully execute the duties of that office to the glory of God and without compromising Christian principles. Now, we have, we have to ask a different kind of a question. Is there a difference between compromising Christian principles and the political act of compromise itself. Oh my, that is a tough, tough question on Tough Question Tuesday. How do I think about compromise? This is Gino Geraci. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. The number is 303-873-1935. We've been talking about a lot of things on Tough Question Tuesday. And um, one of the tough questions, of course, is what does the Bible say about compromise? Maybe this is a great lesson, if you will, for anyone contemplating running for office or engaging in activities that require compromise. So, 303-873-1935. To compromise is to make concessions or accommodations for someone who doesn't agree with certain set of standards or rules. And there are times when compromise is good and right. Compromise is a basic skill that you need in marriage. So, would you rather be, Jim, would you rather be happy or would you rather be right in your marriage? When it comes to your wife, would you rather be happy or would you rather be right? There is a distinction, right? Yeah, yeah, there's a distinction between being happy and right. You've heard the expression happy wife. How does the rest of the expression go? Happy, happy life. Yeah, happy wife, happy life. So I think compromise is needed <laughs> in marriage. And in other situations where keeping the peace is more desirable than having your own way. And, you know, Daniel and his three friends essentially worked out a compromise with the Babylonian officials concerning their diet in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 through 14, where the steward says, you're going to eat everything that I tell you to eat. And they said, hey, let's do a little bit of an experiment. 
Um, if we can keep kosher, he didn't use the term kosher, but there was a very famous or very special Jewish diet. Um, there were food prohibitions and restrictions. And so they wanted to just prove that they could actually exercise those prohibitions and conditions and still fulfill all of their duties to the Babylonian officials and to the Babylonian court. That was a compromise. Now, in other kinds of ways, compromise isn't so good. The Bible makes it clear that God doesn't condone compromising his commands. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 32, the Lord said, you need to be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. A more straight-up reading of Deuteronomy 5 would be, be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or the left. That means stay focused. And in Psalm 119, verse 3, it says, Joyful are those who do not compromise with evil. So apparently there is something that's evil and that we're not supposed to compromise with evil. So in Deuteronomy, it says, do not, actually Psalm 119, verse 3, do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. It actually says joyful are those who don't compromise with evil. So God is holy and his ways are right. God is good. His ways are life-giving. And concerning matters that God has clearly addressed, we don't negotiate. We don't bargain. We don't compromise. The gospel isn't a suggestion. It's an ultimatum. Repent. Turn from your sin. Believe the gospel. King Jehoshaphat foolishly entered into a compromising situation with the wicked King Ahab, and it almost cost him his life. The story's found in Second Chronicles chapter 18. Jesus rebuked the church at Thyatira for their theological and moral compromise. He said, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. So there are certain lines that shouldn't be crossed. There are times when compromise is evil. And so as we go through this world, we're going to hear many calls, invitations to compromise. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, it says, The fleeting pleasures of sin, hollow and deceptive philosophy in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. So when we think about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's all an invitation to compromise in areas where we've been asked 
not to compromise. Usually the temptation to compromise is heightened by some type of fear, like the fear of being rejected or the fear of being criticized. So why is it so hard to call good good and evil evil? What is it that's happened in our culture and society where sweet has become sour and barbarians have become heroes? So what makes compromise so dangerous is the subtle way it approaches us. Compromise, by definition, doesn't involve a wholesale capitulation to worldly ways or ideals. Rather, it accommodates them. Most of us would recoil at the thought of tossing Jesus aside and embracing an idol, but compromise never asks us to do that. Compromise says that we can have the idol and keep Jesus, too. That's the difference. Rebellion and disobedience says toss Jesus, embrace the idol. But the wicked, subtle rationalization, the plausible but untrue excuse, the the Faustian bargain that we sometimes make with each other is to not tell the truth. Or we say we can keep our idol and we can keep Jesus. There's room in the sh- on the shelf for one more object of worship, right? And what's the harm if we still have Jesus? So it's vital to know when compromise is appropriate and when it's not. In general, we should say that we can compromise on preferences, but not on principles. Someone once said convictions... Well, opinions are those things that we hold, and convictions are the things that hold us. And so based on that rule of thumb, here are some matters in which compromise might be helpful. The color of the church carpet, the type of vehicle your family should drive, where to host the corporate luncheon, when to schedule a trip to the library, But there can't be compromises over values and standards that stem from those values. So imagine a preference is different when we schedule the trip to the library. But what happens when we show up at the the library and it's a drag queen story time? Be careful. Live out your biblical beliefs. It's okay for you to be a Christian. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. Hopefully, perfectly, I'll be back to take your calls and answer your questions. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.